So he goes back to his garage. He had a mill in his garage like any, you know, good engineer. <laughs> and uh, so he started prototyping stuff and came back um, a few months later and was like, Dan, I think I have something that works. I've figured out why nobody can print Peak. Hello there, Internet. My name is Adam Fosnott. I'm a mechanical engineer, and I have been working with 3D printers of all shapes and sizes for over seven years. I've worked with machines from under $200 to over $200,000, and I have learned so much in the process. One thing I noticed is that a 3D printer tends to be judged on two extremes, one being a press release where everything is shiny and perfect, and the other being a YouTube review where a lot of times every product gets criticized. Another insight is that there tend to be two worlds in 3D printing one being the industrial space and the other the hobby space, and those two worlds rarely talk to each other. This podcast breaks down those barriers to have a transparent, no BS conversation about the world of 3D printing and technology. I'm so happy to have you on board. Let's get started. So I have a, a small set of questions to, to just kick things off. Um, first of all, thank you for, uh, for taking the time uh, again. Absolutely. And uh, could you just do a quick introduction of yourself and slice engineering uh to the audience sure so my name is dan barus i'm the ceo and co-founder of slice engineering slice engineering uh, makes components for 3d printers specifically focused on uh, high performance uh, components so we're not um we're not trying to compete to be you know the the lowest priced um you know that is a complaint that we get is that our stuff is expensive but um uh, when I wake up in the morning, I want to be excited about making the best in the world of something and, and not the cheapest in the world of something. So that's kind of the, the role that we've picked is to, to try and be the best uh, at specifically hot end uh, technology in FDM 3D printing. Awesome. And then we're going to spend the next 45 minutes to an hour just talking 3D printing. Awesome. Um but I'm sure there's more to you than just that. So I would love if you would share something yourself kind of outside uh, of 3D printing. Sure. Uh, I'm married. Uh, I'm a dad, which is the most exciting thing uh, that's ever happened to me. I, I kind of always knew I wanted kids, but um, actually being a dad has been the most uh, transformational experience of my life and definitely the hardest. At one point, uh, my co-founder doesn't have kids yet and we were having dinner one time and he was like so what's more difficult being a dad or starting a business and i was like totally being a dad <laughs> he was really shocked by that answer because starting a business is pretty freaking hard but uh yeah i being a dad's great he's uh i have a son and um and he's just a ton of fun how uh, how old is he he is 18 months old 18 months okay yeah. so uh, a new son and you've been yes going through yeah. through all of those uh those learnings he's uh, learning to climb onto things like bar stools and try and get stuff off the counter and oh boy yes yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a little scary <laughs> i have uh i have a nephew who's about two two and a half uh-huh. um so we got to watch him kind of grow up um i have yeah. no kids myself yet um but man i can't to your point imagine starting a company running a company and also having a a new baby in the in the mix of that Um. (laughs) my wife always jokes that i have two kids one is slice and and one is our son yes absolutely (laughs) yeah um so when you look at kind of how slice started was it kind of your vision initially i know you mentioned you had a co-founder how how did things kind of first get the ball rolling 
Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, I love origin stories personally. I'm like big and I love stories. So we kind of honestly have a, a, I don't know, a typical like started in a garage kind of story, which sounds kind of ridiculous, but, but that's really how it happened. Uh, Chris, my co-founder, who I mentioned a minute ago, uh, he and I were both working at a medical device company together, and we had an application where we were trying to print some uh, higher temperature uh, plastic, specifically peak, and uh, and get them into a clean room. So they had to, um, you know, be sterilizable. And uh, at the time in 2016, we couldn't really find anybody to, to do it. And so Chris was like, okay, well, this can't be that hard. It's just a thermoplastic, like surely somebody knows how to do this. And so we called a bunch of people, couldn't find anybody. And he was like, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out how to do it. So he goes back to his garage. He had a mill in his garage, like any, you know, good engineer. <laughs> and, uh, so he started prototyping stuff and came back, um, a few months later and was like, Dan, I think I have something that works. I figured out why nobody can print peak. You need a better hot end and you need an enclosure. I don't know how to do the enclosure, but I think I, we can do a hot end. And so, um, came up with this idea. We looked at the market, built prototypes, went to Murph, as I mentioned, yeah. um, before we started the podcast. Uh, yeah. So we went to Murph and launched there with some prototypes. We had 30 or 40 of them, something like that. And we sold out in a few hours. Okay. Like, Whoa, okay. <laughs> this is for real. Like people are actually interested in this. And, um, from there we went to some, you know, larger, uh, sort of like more industrial trade shows and realized, yeah, there's definitely a need for this type of, uh, of product in the market and it can help solve some, some pretty cool pressing issues. So that's how we started. That's, uh, that's so cool. I, uh, I love origin stories also. Um, and I definitely want to kind of pick up on kind of your path to, to where you are today. So that was in Murph 2018. You made yeah. the first 40 prototypes, I'm assuming on the mill in Chris's garage. actually so <laughs> we found a, uh, we found a machine shop that would do it for us. Um, okay. Cause we were, trying to you know build marketing materials and a booth and uh, yeah there were just all these things all these moving parts while working full-time of course so we were doing this nights and weekends and and uh so chris just wasn't going to be able to machine them all in his garage in time to gotcha. hit the deadlines. of course of course yeah. that's a, that's a lot of mill work yes um so was this entirely bootstrapped self-funded because uh from from my experience building 40 of something it's a lot harder than building one, and there's there's a lot yeah. more uh, capital in, involved in that. Yeah, so we we bootstrapped uh, for. I mean, we're essentially still bootstrapped. We have okay used you know some financing uh, you know to, to help move things along, but um, yeah, we're 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 pretty much bootstrapped. It's uh it's been quite the ride. Yeah, so it took us a little while to go full time with this because we wanted to try and keep the risk relatively low in the sense of you know, I have a wife and kid to support, you know, so we wanted to, to not, uh, lose the house and, and things like that. So we definitely still went out on a limb, but we, um, we wanted to make sure we had revenue coming in first and, and sort of do like the lean approach to starting a company. I don't know if you're familiar with lean startup, but great book. Uh, it's one of my uh, favorite books. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a great book. So we kind uh, of followed that model. Another one that I'm i I'm a big fan of is called traction. Yes, um, I just read Traction earlier. <laughs> I guess later, late last year. Okay, yeah. I uh, yeah, I read book. it last year also. Um, nice, <laughs> good timing. <laughs> um, 
Awesome. Um, and I'm really happy to hear that you guys have bootstrapped. Um, uh, I'm, I'm the same way. And so I've, uh, I've kind of funded everything myself, trying to keep risk low, make sure that you have revenue coming in to kind of prove it something wants, something right. people want. Um, I, uh, I really love that, uh, that kind of business approach. Um, and so did you and Chris both kind of first get exposed to 3D printing um, at the, the medical device company, or did you guys have prior experience? I mean, he and I are both mechanical engineers, so, I mean, you... You learn about it in school originally, uh, you know, 10, 10 years ago for me now and, and 20 for Chris, uh, school, school, I mean, college, uh, there wasn't as much of like, you couldn't just go down to the library and there were 3d printers in the library right. that was not really happening, uh, 10, 20 years ago, but, uh, where there was still some, you know, minor exposure to 3d printing and then you know, we both worked in manufacturing in various capacities and, and in different industries for a while. And so, yeah, you, I mean, I feel like you can't be in manufacturing and, and product development without having some exposure to 3D printing. So, uh, yeah, I'd had some exposure to SLA and, and um, FDM, and then we'd use some SLS parts here and there for, for various things. But it was always like a Ooh, this is 3D printed. You know, it was, it was very much like there was this super cool wow factor around it. You know, and even now I talk to people uh, and I say, "Oh yeah, I'm in the 3D printing industry," and they're like, "Whoa, that's so cool!" You know, um, it's it's fun to get that kind of reaction. Yeah, it's a uh, it's funny. I get the same thing. Um, yeah. I'll still meet people who are like, what's a 3D printer? Um, yeah. And I get to explain the fancy hot glue gun story behind. Yes, you know. I use the same one, the hot glue gun with the weed whacker filament. That's what yes. I say. Yeah. <laughs> Squirt it onto a plate. Yes, it's such a, it's such a, everyone knows what a hot glue gun is. So it's a yeah. much more attainable uh, way to, to look at things. Um, but so you, in 2018, you went to Murph, you went to Rapid, uh, really realized, uh, confirmed that this was something that people needed. Um, and I agree, by the way, I think even today, um, hot ends, um, definitely sway more towards the, the low cost side compared to the premium side. Um, right. most 3d printers have basically the same hot end on it. Right. Um, <laughs> um, what happened after that? Did you just yeah. place more and more orders and and keep selling them? Did you have a, a marketing strategy behind it? Yeah, so we definitely have a marketing strategy. Uh, sometimes it may not feel like we have one, but <laughs> we definitely do. Uh, and yeah, I mean, we're we're trying to we, you know, got into forums. We uh, talked to people, went to all the all the rep rap festivals and maker fairs, and and uh, really, it's I mean business is about relationships. And so, yeah, we built relationships. That's essentially what we did. We started building a reseller network. Uh, we've got resellers on, um, you know, multiple continents now and across many different countries. And that of course helps get the, get the word out. So <clears throat> you have a new reseller, they already have a customer base that they're interacting with. Um, or sometimes we were getting brand new resellers that were, were launching and they liked our product and, um, you know, we help them to essentially, uh, you know, get the initial stocking quantity out the door and and uh, get off the ground. So, uh, yeah, we've we've tried a bunch of different strategies. You know, worked with YouTubers, um, 
had some articles. Hackaday wrote an article about us a while back, sort of at the beginning, and that kind of helped get the word out. So yeah, there's been a bunch of different um, means to get the word out, and yeah, it's just been a I, w- I wouldn't say gradual or steady. It's been more of like uh, holding on to the end of a rocket as we <laughs> as we grow. So yeah, um, I think. Um, rocket speed growth would be you know what everyone who starts a company dreams of um, but uh but it's cool to kind of hear how um you've grown so quickly through just those various means um and i will say um getting on hack a day is so difficult <laughs> um so so congrats on that i uh Thank you. uh we recently published a video on the ender loop um, oh, cool. and how, uh, uh, someone that I, I met named Michael, um, had converted his Ender 3 into a belt printer, um, and Hackaday recently featured that, nice. um, That's awesome. which was, which was really cool. Um, I, that was just this morning, actually. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Congrats. <laughs> Thanks. It was, uh, it was more about Michael's project as it should be, um, mm-hmm. since he was the one who, who did it. Um, but regardless, um, so you're you're growing really quickly. Um, you're working with resellers all around the world. Um, do you find that most people who are interested in your hot ends are on the hobbyist side or on the industrial side? You know, it's surprisingly about a, a 50-50 split. You know, some of our early customers were medical device companies that were trying to print peak for cervical spacers or, uh, you know, jaw replacement parts or, I mean, any, any sort of medical application where you can use peak and you can do some pretty unique things with peak, uh, especially with, um, you know, there's, there's different techniques to, to handle it. Um, but our hot end helps with that in the sense that it really makes a big difference in heat creep. Uh, so it's very useful for a peak customer, customer that needs to print peak to be able to have that capability but of course there's not like thousands of medical device companies that are buying hot ends you know so <laughs> that's not a sustainable business model uh, in and of itself so yeah we have a ton of customers that are buying you know uh, for their ender 3 and yeah. buying for their creality cr10 or for their prusa uh, we had some quite a few of our early customers were actually prusa users and they, you know, Prusa people like to mod their stuff. And so, you know, this is a, a, a relatively easy mod to install. We've got a video on how to do it. You know, there's printable adapters to replace that whole sort of top carriage piece. Okay. And, and uh, you can slot a, a mosquito right in. So it makes it an easy an easy upgrade and um, and a fun upgrade that increases performance. So, Right. So... When you think about the performance, I think the the higher temperature rating is kind of a a really easy win if you want to start printing peak in those those higher end materials. Um, what other benefits are there for the mosquito? Um, or I know there's the the copperhead, and you have a, a range of products at this point. Right. Um, if you look at the the first one, the mosquito that you were selling um, at first in in 2018. What were people really looking for as benefits of, of an upgrade? 
Hey there, it's Adam. Could you do me a favor? If you are enjoying this podcast, could you rate it five stars wherever you happen to be listening? It's totally free of charge, and through the magic of internet algorithms, it will help more people hear the podcast. Thanks. Yeah. So the easiest way I can demonstrate this is is with a visual. So I have this visual oh. behind me. I don't know if this is going to show up super well on your podcast, but so convenient. Uh, essentially, <laughs> there's you know a traditional hot end. The heat break is also the structural component that connects the cold section to the hot section, and so to make something a structure, it needs to be uh, structurally sound. And um, but if you want something not to conduct very much heat, which you don't want a heat break to conduct heat, ideally, you need to make it as thin and light as possible because conduction is a function of cross-sectional area. So ideally, you would, you've got these two sort of opposing uh, needs from one component, which is never never a good thing. So we did a couple things there. We decoupled those two functions, the structure and the the heat break capacity. And so to do that, we created what we call our roll cage. So there is a big, you know, st- structure around the heat break so that the heat break can be totally unloaded. It's it's not subject to stresses during the printing process. So uh, with the exception of, you know, internal friction from the filament moving up and down. So that allows you to make a super thin walled heat break. So our heat breaks 80% uh, or 85% uh, less thick than a comparable monolithic heat break, which means you get 85% less heat creep up the heat up the filament path. And that allows you to do a bunch of different things, improve resolution, improve flow rate, um, <clears throat> increase the temperature rating and decrease retractions. So those, all those things come from the fact that you have a, you know, a thinner wall heat break. The other thing that we did is, you know, anytime you have two competing goals, the best way to solve it is to make a composite. So humans have been doing that for millennia. You know, if you look back the earliest days, people have made, you take two dissimilar materials and you combine them together and use both their properties to, to accomplish the goal. So we did that with our heat break. So our heat break, and this is a little bit harder to see here, but essentially we have a copper slug in the bottom and a copper, um, slug in the top that it helps distribute the heat it's called a we call it a radiator up here and then it's combined the two copper components that conduct heat super well are combined together with a uh, steel a cold rolled you know heat treated steel that is uh, very a, a poor conductor relative to the copper so heat moves heat energy moves just like uh, water does so if you think of water flowing from one place to another it's going to take whatever the easiest route is to come to a lower energy state and heat does the same thing so the copper slug in the bottom helps for good heat distribution and dissipation um or excuse me good heat distribution in the bottom section the copper piece up top whatever heat comes up through that stainless tube um, gets dissipated really well at the top section so we just made a composite, essentially. It's a bi- our bimetallic heat break technology is the official term. Gotcha. Okay. And so when I look at bimetallic heat breaks, they seem really difficult to manufacture. Yes. <laughs> um, is that something that you guys do in the United States? Do you do it internationally? Did you have to... F- 
uh, interview dozens of different contract manufacturers to get that done. Uh, can you dive into that at all? Yeah. So, so we developed the process entirely uh, internally, I guess you would say. And, and so, yeah, we do all of our machining uh, assembly is, is done in the United States. So everything that you see on the Mosquito down to the packaging actually is produced uh, in the United States. Um, we do have some of the packaging is made in Canada, but we're still North America. <laughs> um, so yeah, every, every, we try to, one of our core values is to try and sort of stay local. And mm-hmm. so we try to stay as local as we can with whatever we can, you know, within, within reason to what the market will bear. And, you know, that's really important. I mean, jobs are important. Small businesses support the majority of the economy, um, which mm-hmm. is they've really taken a hit with COVID and it's a really sad thing. But, um, so our, our goal is how can we keep jobs here, grow jobs here, um, and help people out, you know, good, good jobs. Yeah. That's, uh, that's really great to hear. Um, I know so much of, uh, the equipment in the 3d printing space is made internationally and even at power belts, nearly everything we source is, uh, is international to try to make a very affordable, product um the other thing i ran into was that um at the part volumes that we wanted um a lot of companies just uh just never responded yeah (laughs) to uh to quote requests okay yeah okay definitely (laughs) um so finding someone that's willing to make me 50 parts was really challenging or it was crazy expensive but i'm really happy that you guys have have found a way around it yeah yeah, I mean, what happens is if you can figure out the business model and figure out, okay, what's my break-even point, you know, then you can, uh, especially if you don't have, you know, salary overheads at the beginning uh, because you're not paying yourself. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you can do that at the beginning, it, it can help you scale to get to a number where uh, it does make sense for other companies, suppliers to work with you. So that's um, essentially the model that we followed. Gotcha. Okay. That's a, that's a solid piece of advice. I think for (laughs) for anyone looking to make a hardware product, Mm -hmm. um, because, uh, as I'm sure you've experienced, uh, hardware products are notoriously challenging to, to get off the ground. Extremely. Yeah. (laughs) There's a reason that, uh, pretty, pretty much only the big companies do it, you know? Yeah. Gotcha. Um, kind of in the same train of thought, um, is there anything that sticks out in your mind as one of the the biggest challenges from a from a sourcing perspective when you were first getting started? Hmm. One of our biggest challenges in general has been trying to find, uh, you know, of course, reliable suppliers for different things. Uh, as I mentioned, we try to get everything as local as possible, and so that cuts down on things like time zone differences and, mm-hmm. um, you know, language barriers and things like that. But you still have situations like there's a giant blizzard that covers half the country. So, <laughs> you know, what do you do about that? Um, so <laughs> there's always challenges. Uh, I think our biggest challenge in general has not been so much sourcing, but more so um, maintaining inventory in in a reasonable fashion to where we're not tying up cash flow but also we're um uh, you know preparing for growth 
And that's been a struggle, not only for us, but you look at like Prusa, they always have a three week lead time on their printers <laughs> um, because so many people are ordering. And so that's, that's been a struggle for us too, to try and figure out how do we, it wasn't a struggle at the beginning. At the beginning, it was kind of like, okay, where are the sales? But okay. you know, now it's like, okay, where, you know, how do you, uh, how do you meet demand when a video comes out on YouTube and then demand spikes and uh, yes. you didn't have inventory to cover that. So uh, that's always a struggle. Yeah, I, uh, I can definitely relate and just managing what do we have here? Uh, what are we going to need to have in stock in three months, six months? What right. does that look like? Um, and making sure the bank account has enough at each stage right. in the in the process. Absolutely, yeah, um, it's a it's a lot of uh, gymnastics, I guess you you could call it to yeah. figure out where do you set the level and and how do you make sure you can get from A to B. Definitely. Um, so, how long? were you selling the mosquito until you started moving into other products? We initially launched with the mosquito and um, some limited no a limited nozzle selection because we kind of knew you needed to have a nozzle with hot end. Right. Um, <laughs> same with, we had heaters and, and we had a heater selection, a heater choice. And pretty quickly we just listened to the, the market demand and, figured out what um, our, our customers have been great in the sense that they provide really good feedback. And so we just listen to that a lot, you know, um, somebody says, Hey, you've got, you know, whatever, 24 volt, but you don't have 12, like give me 12. Mm -hmm. be a bad example. Cause there's a lot more 24 volt that sell, but <laughs> um, in any case, the, yeah, just listening to the customer responses really helped us build out the product line. The Copperhead came uh, out as a direct result of uh, Murph 2019, I guess, where we had a bunch of people saying, hey, love the Mosquito, love the bimetallic heat break. Could you make it cheaper and easier for me to put it on my Ender, you know, three? And uh, so we went back to the drawing board and said, okay, can we produce a bunch of bimetallic heat breaks, but just look at it like a a different way to do it. And so we looked at, you know, essentially the copperhead is what came out of that. So it's a more traditional model in the sense that you don't have that roll cage around it, but, um, it's still a bimetallic heat break. So uh, thicker tube, uh, that can support the weight. Gotcha. And so the way you got the cost down, was it really around making it more of, um, I forget the term you used last time, but I'm going to go with a, a unibody, heat sink compared yeah. to a, a central and a roll cage was that kind of the key to to the price difference so part of it is that and then you know there's less parts on a copperhead than on a mosquito so that's okay. part of the cost uh we also are making a lot more bimetallic heat breaks now so you get economies of scale from that uh so that's helpful obviously in, in making the parts and then it's the copperhead has a little bit thicker wall. So we're still about 60% less than a monolithic heat break, but not as thin as a, as a mosquito. So you get, you know, most of the, some, I guess half the benefits of the mosquito with the, with the, um, with the copperhead and, uh, still get the bimetallic heat break technology. So that, 
that thicker tube makes it easier to assemble and gotcha. simplifies the whole process. Definitely. I think anyone who has uh, changed a nozzle or upgraded hot end has snapped a heat break clean yep. in half <laughs> <laughs> at some point in their life. Yeah. <laughs> we got one. We got a, uh, so we have a help desk system now. Okay. So people, you know, submit tickets and, and it's connected to all of our stuff so we can have like a single source of truth for responding to customer inquiries. And we had one the other day where somebody sent us a video of them trying to uninstall a nozzle. They're actually twisting it on uh, instead of twisting it off. And um, so we were like, uh, I'm sorry, man, but like <laughs> you, you got to, you know, left righty tighty lefty loosey you know you gotta you gotta learn that part to, to take the nozzle off and you know he was angry at us for for the hot end failing but um you know nothing withstands uh <laughs> significant application of torque over time yeah i find that a lot of hobbyists um are sometimes working on their printers late at night and then you know they'll make a, a silly mistake, and I'm no exception. Um, yeah, and then when you're tired, it's so much easier. To, you're you're to tired. Make a mistake. You make a mistake, and then you're mad. Um, right. And then from also what I've seen in Powerboat, you wake up in the morning to a really angry email. Yeah. Um, and then usually it gets resolved very quickly. But. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and we've got um, uh, one of the first things that we did once we started building the team was. Uh, I wrote this document that we call the the principles of customer interaction. And okay. so it's our, our four rules for interacting with, with other people. And the main thing is, you know, the golden rule, right? You treat others how you want to be treated. And then the other one is uh, the next one. Number two is seek first to understand. So it's mm -hmm. like, okay, first on the other side of the, of the screen, the other side of the telephone, whatever is a person just like you. And, uh, they may have had a bad day, you know, it might've been late at night, you know, who knows what's going on in their life. And so let's try and treat them as best as humanly possible uh, to get to the bottom of the issue. Cause most of the time it's a miscommunication, you know, that's usually the root of the problem. And so if we can get that miscommunication resolved and, and lined up and be on the same page, usually all the frustration goes away. Definitely. What are, what are those other two, principles of customer service. I'm so yeah. curious. So the third one is personalize and that's, you know, nobody wants to feel like they're, and we're a small company. So let me just say that mm -hmm. first. So we're not yeah. like <laughs> some big company and you call up and you, and you get the 1-800 line, you know, whatever. So, uh, there are real humans on the, in Florida, uh, on the other side <laughs> of the phone and on the other side of the email. And, um, when you call, someplace or email someplace you want to be treated like you're a person because you are and so personalize is is uh one of our key principles there because we want to make sure that we're not just giving cookie cutter answers to everybody um that we're addressing the kind of root problem and, and treating them you know with I, their first uh, name or, or whatever name we have and addressing right. them like a person I, I love that. Treat them like a person, not like uh, support case zero 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 six three. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, we do have a ticket number that's assigned, but it's also with their next to their name. So yeah. <laughs> uh, assuming they give us a name, sometimes we don't get a name, but um, but if we have a name, we're going to use the name because that's that's important. People's names are important. Yeah. Uh, 
And then what's no. the last one? The last one is speed is critical. So we, okay. we try to respond quickly. Um, we're not always great at that one, but <laughs> not for lack of trying. It's just for um, keeping up with the volume of inquiries that we get is can be pretty challenging. Sure, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, so taking one step back, uh, I'm thinking about customer service. And one thing that I discovered pretty quickly is as soon as I started shipping printer kits, customer service and questions exploded so much more than I expected. Yes. Um, <laughs> was that one of the first positions that you hired for? Or how did you go about kind of expanding the team past past you and Chris? Do you have a question about 3D printing? If so, I would love to answer it. Feel free to leave any questions in the comments down below or go to 3dprintauthority.com slash forms to submit your question. Thanks. Yeah, so the first person we hired was was actually in customer service because you just physically can't, you know, even if it only takes three minutes to respond to a support case, um, to respond to a person, right, that has an inquiry, if you get a hundred of those a day, like that's your whole day. There's you know? your whole day. <laughs> that's, that's good. It's gone. The time's gone. Um, and you still got to eat and go to the bathroom and brush your teeth and, you know, sleep. So yeah, you got to, um, customer support was the first role that we hired and it's, it's a critical aspect of, of the company. Awesome. And then from, what about from there? Um, customer support, super important. Yeah, uh, keeping customers happy, first hire. How did you grow from there? And then how big is your team now? So from there, I think our next hire was uh, we had a company outside doing our shipping and fulfillment. Uh, okay. Because when we first started and Chris and I were doing nights and weekends in, in our garages, uh, you know, I was doing, Chris and I were both doing some assembly at night and, you know, putting kits together and dropping them off at the post office the next morning before work. And, uh, that was not sustainable at all. So we found a third party company to do it, uh, which was super helpful and allowed us to, to grow, Mm -hmm. but it was also pretty expensive from on a, you know, per unit cost. And, and, uh, so we brought that in house. We've hired somebody to help us ship orders out and we started with just reseller orders first. And then, and then we brought everything in house. So, okay. Yeah. And now we're at seven people, seven people. Awesome. Um, you brought up resellers again. How, how does that relationship work? And it seems almost counterintuitive to me to have resellers and also sell on your own website. I know a lot of companies do it. Um, so how does that, that relationship work? Um, how do you go about talking to resellers do people just send you cold emails all the time wanting to be resellers like what's what's that like (laughs) yeah now that's the case it certainly was not the case before um i mean it started with i i knew that we needed to get the word out and Mm -hmm. the easiest way to get the word out without spending my life savings on on just ads was to talk to people that already had a customer base mm-hmm. and so we met some at trade shows uh we cold emailed or cold called some and you know built out enough of a sort of initial network to get us going and then um, from there it becomes uh almost it's like the more resellers you add the more resellers want to come on board gotcha. and and that's great and 
uh, I mean, we don't consider ourselves to be competing with our resellers. We're, we're all on the same team. You know, we're not, um, uh, we're all just trying to improve the 3d printing industry as a whole and provide better options for, for, uh, the community of 3d printing enthusiasts, as well as the industrial, um, you know, or professional side of, of 3d printing. So, uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a very amicable relationship. Awesome. Awesome. I'm happy to hear it. Um, one thing that keeps coming to mind is you guys specialize in hot ends. Why nothing else? And why not full printers? Right. That's a great question. So, you know, we've, we've talked about building printers. Uh, there's a, there's a great book, um, by a guy named Jim Collins called good to great. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but I've read it. It's another, okay. Yeah. It's a great, great, great book. So one of the things he talks about is, um, this flywheel concept of you want to generate enough momentum, you know, uh, to sustain, uh, anything, right. You need, you Mm -hmm. need, uh, it's Newton's laws, right. An object in motion wants to stay in motion. So you gotta, you gotta get the object in motion. It takes a lot of energy to create that momentum, but once it's there, it doesn't take as much energy to, to sustain. And so the, um, the analogy that Jim Collins uses with this flywheel concept is once it's spooled up and you've got that energy and momentum, then you start looking at other, other ways to expand the company and, or, or the organization, other types of printing or, or whatever it is, you know, other services that would be a complement to your core business. Um, cause otherwise you can get so distracted so easily and not keep the main thing, the main thing. Um, that's uh, Stephen Covey, uh, Seven Principles of Highly Effective People. <laughs> I like to read if you had. <laughs> um, so, there, yeah, there's, there's just, we want to make sure that we are doing our thing so well that, uh, that we're not getting distracted with other stuff, you know. So that's, that's why Just Hot Ends. Gotcha. What, I don't know if you're the same way or if Chris is the same way. But I find myself wanting to get distracted really easily. <laughs> yeah. uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I was like, our our printers are great, but I want to build a really big one. Just like a really, really big one. Um, and I had to stop myself immediately because I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. There's you know a, a list of priorities of other stuff that <laughs> is so much more important. How do you keep yourself from getting distracted? Do you have any any yeah. techniques? It's a great, so I'm, I'm the one that's more prone to distraction. Chris is pretty, pretty focused. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, so I, I tend to be like, oh, this would be awesome. And then Chris is like, okay, okay, slow down. Let's think about, like you just said, we got 50 things we got to do now just to keep the lights on, you know, and, and keep things going and keep hiring engineers. Um, so yeah, it, I think it's, it's super easy to get distracted. It's, it's very difficult to stay laser focused and um there's a a book by a guy named david allen called getting things done and one of the things he talks about is essentially creating like a triage list and um i do things a little bit differently than the way he does it but uh 
Eisenhower actually used a similar principle, and I, I sort of follow more of his model, but he has lists for different things that you need to do. It's like do now, do sometime, you know, that you're going to put on your calendar, mm-hmm. delegate it to somebody, and don't ever do it. And okay. So if you are able to like categorize things into those lists, you can you know, say you want to build a giant printer later down the road. It's like, okay, (laughs) let me put this on the schedule it list. I'm going to put this six months down the road. And then six months from now, if I still really want to build a big printer, let's make it happen. But if I don't, then (laughs) scratch it off the list, throw it away and and do something else, you know? So that's that's the main way we kind of stay organized. I, uh, I like that a lot. I'm a, I'm a huge to-do list person and I'll Mm -hmm. have, every task I can think of and then I'll pick out the ones that are most critical today, yeah. this week, etc. Right. Um, I haven't read that book though. Um, truthfully, I, uh, I am not good at reading. It's not <laughs> one of my strengths. I don't love it. Um, I force myself into it mm-hmm. when I can and yeah. usually I, I learn lots of good things from it. <laughs> audiobooks. I love audiobooks. I do also love audiobooks yeah. um, and podcasts. So. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you like podcasts, so that's great. <laughs> they're uh, they're they're great for background noise. They're great when you're driving. Just yes, can't can't get enough. <laughs> driving, running, whatever. Yeah, good good time to do audiobooks and podcasts. Definitely. Um, one thing that I'm so curious about is what is one thing that you're excited about in the world of 3D printing outside of just your products. This could be mm. a trend that you're seeing, a specific technology, or maybe something that you want to see more of in the industry. Mm. Do you want to be a guest on this podcast? If so, go to 3dprintauthority.com slash forms to apply. Thanks. Yeah, two things jump to mind immediately. And the okay. first is uh, because of COVID, so there's people talk about like technology awareness in Mm -hmm. like happens in cycles you know and so first there's like a huge media hype and then for all these predictions we're gonna be driving flying cars you know whatever and everybody's like okay that didn't happen that's stupid (laughs) and then like interest tanks but in the background there's a bunch of really smart people working on it Mm -hmm. and advancing the technology and then a while later it pops back up again so i feel like we had we had this huge like media spike and public interest and everybody was excited. Everybody was going to have a 3D printer in their house in like 2012, 2013, 2014. And then it kind of fell off a little bit. And um, <clears throat> last year with everybody printing face shields and more people buying 3D printers and putting them in their homes and realizing, hey, this is a great tool to teach my kids about STEM. This is a way that I can teach them mechanical knowledge. This is a way that I can um, have a fun way for my kids to learn like CAD software, for example. Mm -hmm. So we saw a lot of that happening. And that's something I'm really excited about, that the sort of average, uh, maybe non-nerd like us (laughs) kind of person is getting excited about 3D printing again. And it's becoming more of a a household terminology and and name. Um, So that's one thing I'm really excited about. The other thing I'm really excited about is there's been some papers recently about um, like 3D SLA essentially or or DLP technology, which is 
you know, you've got like a, the vat of fluid and of resin. And then instead of building it in layers, it's like the object gets shined into the middle of the vat and formed instantaneously. And uh, if that works long-term, it'll be so cool. <laughs> so I don't know how far away we are from, from that being, you know, a, a reasonably priced um, method of manufacturing. But once it does happen, I mean, then we're talking like Star Trek replicator status kind of stuff, you know, um, I think that'll be really cool. That's a great one to bring up. I actually was looking that up to refresh my memory earlier to try to reach out and uh, and interview them. Oh, cool. Um, because that, um, I think it's termed volumetric 3D printing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's definitely one of those areas that, again, not very many people know about it. Not very many uh, businesses or research universities are succeeding at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has so much... Uh, rapid 3D printing potential that right. that's definitely a, a really exciting trend. It is exciting. I guess one more thing I thought of like, was uh, non I only asked for one and we got three. <laughs> we got three. We got three. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Let's hear it. <laughs> yeah, non-planar. Are you familiar with non-planar uh, FDM printing? So that is super exciting too because you can really totally change geometry uh, of layer lines is no longer a um, and, and z-axis strength and apart is no longer a limitation in FDM. So it completely changes the uh, capabilities for FDM to really take on some of those um, uh, you know industrial level parts that couldn't be done before. So I'm super pumped about that. I, uh, I agree. That's a fun one. Um, that's another one that it seemed like it was really popular for a short period of time mm-hmm. and then interest died. Yeah. just as quickly as it as it spiked up um it's so satisfying to watch it is <laughs> it's very cool to watch i can watch time lapses all day long of, <laughs> of non-planar printing <laughs> yeah it's very cool to watch <laughs> awesome um the last thing is uh where can people find you where can they learn more about slice engineering and if you have any uh special calls to action that you you'd like the audience to take now's a now's your time sure yeah so uh sliceengineering.com is our website so that's the best place to find any new cool stuff going on uh, we actually just announced a a new super high flow hot end that we're calling the magnum plus so check that out uh, we've got a cool white paper available for download about high speed 3d printing uh, with the magnum plus so that's a cool thing and then we've got um uh, call to action especially for your listeners uh, if you put in the code podcast so just the word podcast at <laughs> checkout, uh, you'll get 10% off uh, your entire order uh, on our website. So, Gotcha. That's awesome. Thank, thank you so much, Dan. I'm sure the, uh, the audience will appreciate it um, yeah. again. Uh, thank you for, for taking the time to, uh, to join me. Yeah, um, absolutely. And uh, I'm sure we'll look forward to, to connecting in the future. Best of luck to, to you and the rest of the, the Slice team on, uh, on your continued growth. Thank you, Adam. Really appreciate it. Wish the same for you and Power Belt and and the podcast. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to my chat with Dan from Slice Engineering. 
I hope you will take him up on his generous offer to get 10% off anything from Slice Engineering by using the promo code PODCAST. If you aren't already, it would be really cool if you wanted to subscribe to 3D Print Authority before you get on with the rest of your day. Until next time, happy printing.